to Books on the Go, a podcast where we talk about our book of the week. I'm Anna Bailey Karras and I'm here with a special guest today, Sean Mooney from Sean the Book Maniac. Hi, Sean. Hello, Anna. How lovely to be back. It is lovely and Happy New Year. This is our first episode for 2024. And I wonder, is there a moratorium on how how late in the year you can wish somebody Happy New Year? I'm not sure. I think there, there might be some is. etiquette and around it, and we may we have rec- just violated it, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're breaking the rules already. I think as we record, it's 1st of February, and I think that is too late to wish someone Happy New Year. But it's also well, Happy Lunar New Year very soon. So There, there you go. And we, my name we, is Sean Mooney, so there you go. That's it. We're covering all bases. So today we are talking about the book, Home Reading Service by Fabio Morabito, translated by Curtis Bauer. And this was for the inaugural Anna Sean Book Club series, which I hope we'll have many more of, Sean, based on the current selection. And Sean chose this book. So I wonder, Sean, would you like to introduce it for us? I will do my best. I would be quite happy to give it a try. This is a Mexican novel. But to descri- to talk about the author, Fabio Morabito, it's a little more complicated than that in a most in a really interesting way. Fabio Morabito was born in Egypt to Italian parents and grew up in Egypt until he was a teenager, at which point his parents moved to Mexico for work. And that is where Fabio Morabito still lives and writes. So his first language, I'm assuming, was Italian. But he writes in Spanish. I think he might be around 50. He's one of Mexico's uh, bright literary stars. And he's a translator this, as well, I believe. And a poet, which which I think we might want to re- refer back to as we get into discussing this novel. Yes. Uh, would, would you like me to set up the book, kind of introduce how the book opens or something as well? Yes. Why not? And And let me know as well how you heard about it. I heard about it because I have a series, I've had a long running series on my booktube channel called Bite Size Book Chats, where I interview readers from around the world about a book that they have read and liked, which I haven't read, but I'm interested in hearing about. And so that's a guest. He is actually a very respected, wonderful book blogger from the UK. His blog is Winston's Dad. I had him on my show and he talked about this book and I, to my curiosity. Oh, interesting. So I have to follow Winston's dad. Yeah, Winston's dad. I'll give I'll send we'll put the link in your show notes there. Fantastic. I'll give the opening premise and then I'll let you direct who's gonna share their impressions of the book first. But the opening premise is that is our hero oh Eduardo our, is a 35-year-old Mexican guy, and he is managing a furniture store that used to be owned and run by his father, but his father is now dying of cancer. And this mid-30s Eduardo has recently been involved in some kind of a traffic accident. The details are never uh, revealed to us, but there was an accident. He was at fault, and his sentence was to do community service in the form of reading to elderly and disabled people who couldn't get out and go to bookstores themselves or whatever. And so he would go visit their house and read books to them And that's how the story opens, and it gets wilder, wackier, and more and more interesting as it progresses. Yes, it does. And from what seems like quite a quiet premise, doesn't it? As in someone going into 
read from books to people in their homes. It sounds quite quiet um, and unassuming. It, has, it ends up assuming a lot very loudly. Yeah. <laughs> and destabilizingly. Sean, I loved this. I really enjoyed, I mean, the first thing you notice, I suppose, in any book is the tone or the feel of it. And it was a tone that invites you in, but it's quite subtle, but conveys a lot of information in between the lines. And I really enjoyed that. And I immediately had a sense of Eduardo. So just from the first page, you had the sense that he was put in this position of submitting to a punishment, but he stands up for himself. So the first scene, he's with, a, um, I think, two brothers, Carlos and Louis, who are playing games with him, really. They're, they're naughty. And, and when I say naughty, they're adults, but they're carrying on and disrespecting him, perhaps is a word. But he then stands up for himself. So you get this real sense of his character. He's not outwardly, he's not in a position of power or authority, but he's not afraid to push back a little bit, which I really liked. It was endearing, I think. And immediately, of course, you have the question, what was the accident that led to this? It's a year of community service. And I liked how that was set up. He didn't then just go on and on about what it was and really spell it out and drag you down. And sort of that would have bogged the story down, I think. It was just left there. And you understand immediately that it was something quite serious. It was enough that he was charged. He was sent to to court. Um, And in fact, I thought it was so subtle and all you know, even towards the end, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he, you know, his license was taken away and as part of the punishment. And towards the end, he does get his license back. And I don't think this is a spoiler to say there's just a throwaway line where he says, and my license came back and I immediately tore it up as soon as I got it back. And I thought that was really interesting as a subtle hint. You never know what the accident is, but you know, I think the important thing, which was how he must have felt about it or how he has responded to it. And just that humour, that very sort of subtle humour. Well, there's so many things I loved about it, but Sean, we can go into that, but I want to know what you thought of it as well. Yes, I absolutely loved it too. I was a little worried it was going to not go off the rails, but get too weird or too kind of uh, surreal for me. And it didn't. It stayed within its lane so that the story did get really wacky. But it also was a narrative that had so many interesting things threaded through it that deeply engaged me. This was, as much as anything, this was a novel about reading, and in particular, reading aloud. And what an incredible and bizarre and fascinating theme for a work of fiction to be really preoccupied by what's the difference between reading out loud with feeling and uh, letting your mind wander when you read out loud. And as someone who does a lot of reading aloud, um, I was absolutely fascinated with all of that stuff. The story itself was crazy and interesting and brought in so many social elements and comedic elements and Um, aspects of literature and in particular poetry, that um, it was meaty in a way it wore its meatiness very lightly and at times absurdly. Yes, that's a great word, absurdly. But uh, And it's so interesting you pick up on the fact that it's about reading and literature and poetry because often that would put me off because it's too self-referential. I don't 
necessarily want authors to tell me that books are good or that they're into reading because it's it's too insular. And yet, as you say, because he does it so lightly, it's just a touch of reading or a touch of poetry that gives it another layer and a richness and keeps you interested without feeling too literary, if you like. It's more about Uh, the characters and the story and what will Eduardo do? How will he cope with these various quirky families that he's reading to? And what will happen with the, you know, it's got that that sense of being in Mexico as well. So the the town, which I've forgotten the name of, that's full of swimming pools and he has a wonderful quote about that, but it's also got yep. some violence, which is often off the page, but it's there with the drug trafficking and the, I think Guero is the person who comes to demand money and the, you know, the extortion. And so he's got a lot to to deal with and his, his un, you know, his sick father, as well. So the, I thought that that balanced out with the literature and the reading references. A really nice mix and kind of a crazy mix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the characters were quite eccentric, but not, as you say, not too, not so much that it seemed outlandish or were really taking a flight of fancy. It wasn't that over the top. It was eccentric within the realm of you could imagine them. If you just stretched your idea of what might be possible just that much, it was it made sense. Yeah. The other thing of is that there's a lot about uh, human frailty, the frailty of the body, death and dying, and that is, I think, an important part of the story. A lot of the characters have uh, disabilities. I'm not sure that there might not be a critique there with somebody a little bit more attuned to disability issues about how all of that gets portrayed, but I'm that's above my pay grade, but certainly there's a lot about that in the novel and the ethereal permanence of literature. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The, per, the ethereal permanence of literature, I like that. I don't know where that phrase came from. I just kind of pulled it out of my ear. But Well, they, they can all share the same books and poets who have died can live on and it's yeah it's interesting isn't it and and on the disability i thought of you because there's a deaf family i'll say deaf family in the in the novel and there are a couple of scenes involving them that did make me think of the saranovic book true biz um, that we read biz, absolutely yes and uh, i wonder what uh, somebody like saranovic or other kind of disability activists in the literary community, what they might make of some of those representations. But um, I, I would just be curious to hear what they had to say. It's certainly in the way that the story about the deaf family ended, I thought, okay, well, any doubts I might have had, uh, I, I've kind of been assuaged by how that storyline was ended. So, But there was, yeah, the deaf family, the naughty Carlos and Louis. There was, um, I loved Mr. and Mrs. Rezen, Rezendiz. I don't know how you pronounce it. With I'm their literary sure, but... salons, and they, yes, <laughs> they sort of become patron art patrons. It, it's so good. And then even Jame or Jame at the furniture store, quite a nuanced character, I thought. And also his Eduardo's relationship, if that's the right word, with Guero, who's his, who does the shakedowns and the extortion. And it, that was so interesting because it was like a microcosm of perhaps 
um, what it could be like to live in a town like that um, in Mexico where you are coexisting, whether you like it or not. You, you're almost part of the what we would think of as an underworld, but it's it's right there in your world. And the way they coexist I thought was really beautifully done. Look, I don't know how realistic that is, but it seemed to have an element of ringing true to me. I, I think so too. And it also, I think, connected in an interesting way to Eduardo's character and even some of the realizations that he makes uh, about himself at the end. He is somebody who is fixated on details and he doesn't necessarily see the big picture. That shapes his impressions of people, his feelings about people. And those feelings and impressions can turn on a dime with absolutely everybody he encounters. But it also, in the way that those perhaps incidental details that he's so fixated on, the way that those are brought into the story, it's actually a very vivid characterization. And the, the one of many and many, many in the book is he is absolutely fixated on the quality of the dinner rolls at this cane restaurant that he eats at all the time. And that's just a, a throwaway that. thing I did too. And, and, and he makes such a fuss if they don't come, if they're not served to him the way he likes them. And he's like that about everything, every aspect of everybody he encounters. And it makes for a really rich story. Yeah. I loved the dinner rolls. That was one of my favorite elements. And, and just that really lovely uh, rapport that he has with Gladys at the, his favorite Gladys. restaurant or cafe and the dinner rolls just popping up every now and then. I, I enjoyed that. Um, so, no, I really liked his company. And as you say, seeing how he approaches the world and how he deals with situations and he's got his, you know, his father's illness, the store, reading to the clients, and then how he engages with the poetry that he comes across by Isabel Freire. Yeah, I, I, I think I heard the pronunciation Freire, Freire, Isabel Freire. But uh, yes, and I'd like to talk about that for a minute. And if, with your permission, I'd like to read this poem because it's not that long. Yes. Uh, early in the book, he in, finds in his father's handwriting in an account book at the furniture store, a poem by Isabel Freire. Uh, we never get the title of it. And then that poem becomes incredibly important to everything that happens for the whole rest of the book. And it's a really beautiful poem. So I'd like to read it. And then you can tell me exactly what it means, Anna. <laughs> I don't I don't know that I'll be able to do that. If I was to give this um, uh, poem a title, I would call it Your Skin. Here it is. It's very short. Your skin, like sheets of sand and sheets of water swirling. Your skin, with its lowering mandolin brilliance. Your skin, where my skin arrives as if coming home and lights a silenced lamp. Your skin, that nourishes my eyes and wears my name like a new dress. Your skin, a mirror where my skin recognizes me and my lost hand comes back from my childhood and reaches this present moment and greets me. Your skin, where at last I am with myself. I think that's quite a stunning poem. And apparently the first time it's ever been published in English translation is in this novel. Really? I watched a, a video with the translator talking about it. Now, if I if I followed what he was saying, I'm pretty sure that was true. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently it's hard to translate poetry. Well, it would be because it's, it's so specific, isn't it? So precise. Absolutely. 
And so the poet herself becomes kind of a character in absentia through the rest of the book, but also this notion of human connection and your skin, the skin of various characters becomes highly relevant. And without giving anything away about the ending, the poem resurfaces in a really powerful way in the very last mm. lines of the book. I read it as the, I don't know if the skin is meant to be a metaphor for something, but it's the feel of it to me is someone getting comfort from maybe connecting the word you used, but being with another person. Absolutely. Um, whether it's even a hug or something like that, but that sort of actual human connection that is probably missing a lot these days. And in fact, now I'm just thinking out loud, Sean, but uh, there is a scene in the novel and one of the things I loved about it was the sense of place and Eduardo's mixed feelings about where he lived because he seems very much of his place and had to have a, a love of his city, but also there's an ambiguity there. There are mixed feelings there because he walks along at one stage and notices that everyone's put up a wall. And by, by that, I mean, literally, or well, actually yes. put up concrete walls to protect themselves and to secure their homes. So I'm now wondering if that your skin is such the opposite of that, where people are kind of more coming together. Uh, yeah, uh, putting up walls, letting down the walls, all of that is threaded through it in, in, in both the social aspect and the more interpersonal. Yeah, yeah really interesting. I think but I want very, to read this again. Very beautiful. We, yeah, it does. It almost does feel like that book. It, there's There are so many layers and it's beautiful the way he, he does it lightly, as you've said. So you don't feel that it's heavy with the layers but it is rich and textured with with those different meanings I mean he must be and I haven't read him before that's why I was curious how you'd come across him but it sounded to me like he was quite revered at least in Mexico probably much more broadly he's won the highest literary award for this one and his work has been translated in, into several languages but it reads to me like quite a mature work of someone who's really at the top of their game because he's managed to infuse so much into a really spare writing style. I couldn't agree more. Let me just bring up a, a quick glance at his Wikipedia page. It suggests that yeah, this is the only thing so far that's been translated into English, but I sure hope more comes our way. So do I. And I was trying to think, I'm interested in your thoughts or what it reminded me of or what other books if you like this book for example is there anything similar and it, I was thinking but it's a while since I've read her work and I've got the newest one still to read on my shelf Sigrid Nunez because it's quite gentle and wryly funny and poignant but it also does have some profound observations in it and even Oren Pamuk who has a different style but he really thinks a lot about the impact of art and literature and that sometimes is woven into some of his novels and certainly his non-fiction but that sort of quite erudite vibe but what did you have any and did it remind had, you of anything or is it a real I had standalone it's standalone in a certain sense because it outshines the book that it reminded me of. But a year and a half ago, I did a buddy read of the very first winner of the Booker Prize, like something like 1971 or something, whenever the Booker Prize came out. And that the first winner was 
Something to Answer For by P.H. Newby. And I read it with another book, Kieran. And it was similar in the sense that you met a bunch of characters and then the further the novel progressed, it became more and more mysterious in kind of a fluid way. The whole narrative began to shapeshift and you realized there was subterranean connections between all the characters and everything that first met your eye was not actually the whole picture. But that novel lost me because it got too weird for me, too uh, surreal, I think. Whereas this one kept me engaged. It didn't quite slip the boundaries of what, what you know, what that I could follow. But yes. it did remind me of that. P.H. Newby's something to answer for. Oh, interesting. I haven't even heard of that. Isn't that terrible? Booker Prize winner. It's, it's, it's probably the, the book. <laughs> it is. It's a long time ago, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it all that highly. It's set during the Suez Crisis. And I haven't read the writers that you mentioned. Um, I know of them, but haven't read them. Yes. Well, Sigrid Nunez, the latest one is The Vulnerables, which I has been recommended, and I, I enjoyed her previous two. So I'm optimistic. But I, it's always a worry when you're, you know, too optimistic about a book. You don't want to have too high expectations, but... Um, I'm yeah. still reading through my TBR, Sean, and you'll be happy to know three books to go. And which TBR is this? My whole TBR, although there's now a new TBR oh, oh. that, as of <laughs> as of Christmas when I received oh. some books and bought some in January. So it's the whole TBR as it was up to last year of, well, when I say the whole TBR, there are a lot of books behind me that I still haven't read, but as in current I don't know, you almost work in progress if you like, but yeah, current the ones the you really wanted to get to sort of 10 years that I had bought but not read. And it was three shelves wide and it's now down to three books. And the three, of course, the three that I have left are all quite heavy. <laughs> but that's a really, ex well, it would be very exciting, but it, it won't be an empty shelf now because I've, I have inadvertently bought some. Some more inadvertent books, book acquisition is just a curse, isn't it? <laughs> well, it well, and one of them was this. So, I sometimes buy, I should have held that up earlier, shouldn't I? But I sometimes, if I buy them and read them fairly quickly, they almost don't make it onto the TBR shelf. So, it's like cheating, right. yeah. It's relatable. And what are you reading currently, Sean? Oh, let me uh, let's see. I've uh, currently I'm reading 44 books. So, how much time do you have, Anna? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Say that again. You're currently reading 44 books. Well, according to my Goodreads, most of them I haven't picked up in a long time, but they're they're still on there with the goal of reading them. You know, Kate over at the Book Club Review podcast. Yes, I love Kate. I love the yeah, podcast. So do I. So do I. Um, uh, for I'm going to be a guest on her podcast coming up soon. So I'm reading a Japanese novel that I'm going to be discussing with her and one of her Japanese friends. And it's called Mild Vertigo by Miyako Panai. And it was translated from the Japanese by Polly Barton. So I oh, yes. am, that's the next reading priority is to finish that up by Saturday. Because that's when the podcast episode will be taped. You have a deadline. You <laughs> I have a deadline. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a priority. I'll look forward to listening to that. That'll be great. So Mild yeah. Vertigo. It's uh, to describe the premise. It's about a... A Japanese housewife and her relationship with her family and her neighbors. And that sounds really banal, but it is written in kind of a stream of consciousness style. 
that is at least so far and for this particular reader absolutely riveting and brings in so many nuances that you just fall into it and are mesmerized at least i am so far oh that sounds good and i heard i think i read recently that uh, japanese is the most popular translated fiction in the uk i could be wrong i don't know if it's right or wrong but i'm happy about that i know Mm. that korean literature and all things korean are going through a real surge in popularity because of all the k-pop and so on yes uh Japanese literature is quite popular with many a reader. Yes. No, well, I'll I'll look forward to listening to that. Well, that was our very first Sean and Anna book club, the first of many, I hope. So it sounds like I'll probably have to suggest the next one. So I'm going to have to think about this. Sounds fun. Yes. But that was Home Reading Service by Fabio Morabito is how you pronounce it, Sean. Ah. That's how I pronounce it. I don't know what's right. That sounds like a Spanish pronunciation, possibly. By Fabio Morabito or Morabito. We're not sure how to pronounce. Please send us your pronunciations. Translated by Curtis Bauer. And next up in the, well, next up, I'll be reading something with Annie or Amanda, which I don't know yet. So keep an eye on Instagram and we'll update that. And next up on the Sean and Anna book club will be a mystery book, which I'll select Sean and I'll have fun choosing that. I don't know what it will be yet, but you've set the bar very high. Uh, uh, Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And you can follow us in the meantime on Facebook at Books on the Go, email Books on the Go podcast at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at A Bailey Karras. And Sean, where can people find I'll you? I'll just say look up my YouTube channel, Sean the Book Maniac, and all of my other stuff is listed in the show notes of each and every episode. Fantastic. And that's Sean with S H A W N. That's right. I'll put it in the show notes anyway. Wonderful. Well, we will see you then. Bye for now. Bye.